You're listening. You're listening to. You're listening to. You're listening to the Learning Futures. The podcast. Learning Futures. The podcast. Learning Futures podcast. You are listening to the Learning Futures podcast. Welcome to this special edition of Learning Futures podcast. And in this particular episode, we're going to focus on educating for sustainable futures, and exploring the opportunities and challenges that arise. So to do that, I've sort of broken this topic down into three main components, three main topics or sections. And the first is focusing on the futures of education and why sustainable futures are so important. So part of the main focus of my work or as work around futures of education is working around this developing epoch of disruption known as the Fourth Industrial Revolution, sometimes also referred to as Industry 4.0. In this era that we are currently just beginning to enter as we transition out of the information age is marked by the convergence of physical, digital, and biological technologies, things such as artificial intelligence, machine learning, extended reality, Internet of Things, smart materials, nanotechnology, transhumanism, retinal projection, quantum computing, the singularity, and the metaverse, just to name a few. And with these technological innovations, bring with them the potential to change what it means to be human. So it's important for us to understand what makes this fourth industrial revolution stand out compared to the previous three uh, in terms of the potential for disruptions at scale that humankind has never seen before due mostly to the following factors. One is the velocity, the speed at which these innovations occur. Second is the scope, the global scale of those potential impacts. And of course, then the third piece is the system impact itself, either the entire new creation or the disruption of entire new systems, things that may have never even existed before. And it is these three characteristics that are creating a volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous landscape. So as we think about this growing era of technological disruptions, we must keep in the forefront of our minds this idea about technologies, that they are not neutral entities. They are, by their very definition, values-laden, and they become culturally embodied when integrated into practice. And as we explore the first order and subsequent unintended consequences of these innovations and disruptions, they often yield the capacity to either restrict or transform learning. And while it's often the case that we analyze technology and engage in critical reflection with the impact of that technology on some system, perhaps that of education, it is imperative that we understand that disruptive innovations do not occur in isolation, and in many cases, that these disruptions are only surprises because an industry or system was not aware of how innovations in one global trend could impact or have a direct effect on their own. One really helpful way to help illustrate this is, of course, a graphic, which if you're listening to this, you cannot see, but we'll post it into the show notes so that you can access it. But thinking about this graphic about global megatrends, and this particular one I'm referring to 
is a very well-known image that's provided by the Copenhagen Institute for Future Studies, and it illustrates the complexities of a global landscape of trends. So I want you to imagine you're seeing a, a, a bunch of concentric circles, and all around those circles are these different types of trends, things like technological development, knowledge in society, polarization, individualization, network society, democratization, focus on health, sustainability, globalization, economic growth, demographic development, and things like that. And each one of those areas represents an entire area or focus on a global megatrend, something that is a large um, field or body of work that may have, may have um, a potential for disruptions. So as we think about in our own context, we think about where disruptions and innovations come from, it's really helpful for us to think about and call to our mind this sort of graphic, this outline of these global landscapes of trends known as megatrends, that while we may be focused in our own context, we have to simultaneously be aware of things that can happen in other parts of the globe, in other sectors, in other industries. And these global megatrends are represented as potential disruptions or developments that have a global scope and scale and are estimated to have a lifespan of around 10 to 15 years. Um, and so while these megatrends can be expected trajectories of these different sectors, they don't necessarily represent um, any sort of actuality or sort of linear development, right? So as we've seen in our own past, things can go from, from, from seemingly nothing to fully there overnight. And while these global trends might be overwhelming at first, the key is that they hold the potential to show us how diverse the innovation and disruption landscape is and to highlight possible innovations that may or potentially will have an impact on our own organization or system. And so while nobody can really be an expert in all of these areas, what it does is provide us an opportunity to really explore and engage with this global landscape, understanding that disruptions, innovations that can occur outside of our context, outside of our industry, certainly can and will have an impact on our own industry. So when we're talking about the futures and the fourth industrial revolution, I often like to return to this quote to stress the importance of preparing for the future. Now, Grant, we're not in the business of predicting the future. That is not what we do. However, we, we prepare for the uncertainty that the future brings. And I think this is highlighted very well by Professor Klaus Schwab, who is the executive chairman of the World Economic Forum and one of the most prolific scholars on the Fourth Industrial Revolution. And he has pointed out that the velocity, the scope, and those systems impacts of those technological disruptions are born out of the Fourth Industrial Revolution has created a dire need to start paying attention and becoming actively involved in our futures. And as he states, quote, from the perspective of human history, there has never been a time of greater promise or potential peril, end quote. So as we move on here to the second part, and we take our collective global society to the precipice of this fourth industrial revolution, and our awareness of the landscape of those global megatrends and their potential to impact humankind, the question becomes, how then do we prepare our educational systems 
to address the challenge of a sustainable futures. And while there certainly may be more to be identified, right now I would like to present three key pressing challenges that have been emerged in the last several years that seem most salient as we start to see the first waves of impact from new and emerging technologies of the 21st century. And these three pressing challenges come from Schwab and Davis, 2018, again, a wonderful publication that we'll link to in the show notes. And one of the first pieces that they submit as a, one of the pressing challenges is fair distribution. We've learned from the previous three industrial revolutions that the benefits, whether they be economic or social or technological, have not been previously distributed evenly. If the promise of this new era comes true, if unchecked, this continued disparity between those who have and those who have not will only exacerbate the current wealth disparities and push governments and society towards breaking points. The second pressing challenge, challenge that is identified is listed as the externalities of risk. It is vital that as we champion the continued development of new technologies and new global advancements, that we take great care to understand the unintended consequences, to protect our environment, to protect our vulnerable populations from harm. How are we ensuring that these new disruptions and innovations have our human best interests at heart? And the third pressing challenge is exactly that. It builds on that component, ensuring a human-led approach or a human-centered approach. So how then do we ensure that human values are respected and that the new advancements in technologies allow for the empowerment of others and not just power grabs for the already privileged or the already advantaged. So those are some of the three most pressing challenges that we see as we think about um, our education and sustainable futures. And this is a great time to enter a pithy quote from William Gibson that is, quote, the future is here, it's just not evenly distributed, end quote. And this pithy quote is great because while it reminds us that while looking far off into the horizon for these new futures, we may not notice the subtle arrival of it. So as we move forward in our pursuits, we cannot wait for the arrival of new technologies, new disruptions, new shifts in climate change before we start to take action. Because they may already be here. They might not just be evenly distributed. So as we address the three pressing challenges, it allows us to start asking the difficult questions. If we know we need to protect our vulnerable populations and the climate, etc., how can we work to foresee those unintended consequences of innovations to prevent harm? How can we begin working to embrace the unknown? How do we prepare for this uncertainty? How can we tackle wicked problems? I think it was Desmond Tutu who was credited with the metaphor, there is only one way to eat an elephant, a bite at a time. Right? So how do we, we understandably, we can't solve these wicked problems. But how do we start tackling those wicked problems one small piece at a time? And how do we address the human impact, especially on our planet? As we are now living in the Anthropocene, this current geological age marked and viewed as the period of which human activity 
has been the most dominant influence on the climate and in, into the environment. So my final comment here on these challenges is that we need to start transitioning to a humanistic approach, a humanistic approach to the technological innovations and disruptions. So thinking in things of terms of systems, not technology, that the systems level is key here to focus, to allow stakeholders to enable better performing or disrupted systems to take place, not focused on a single tool or technology um, or, or a specific outcome or a predetermined outcome. Thinking about things like empowerment, value the human decision-making in agencies, designing systems that harness technology to provide more opportunities, not ones that restrict or, again, create that disparity or widen the gaps that may be already existing. Thinking about things in terms of artificial intelligence models. How do we design those that at its core, it's meant to increase human agency and not the opposite? Maintaining a human-centric design, employing design thinking techniques and human-centered design and systems thinking approach to make proactive shifts in systems. And that's a big piece. Far too often, we tend to operate in a reactive method. Something happens, we assess what happened, and we make changes to try to prevent it from happening again. But by that time, admittedly, something has already happened. So why not start thinking about creating this proactive shifts in system, anticipating new changes and new challenges and trying to head them off or to boost them up depending on, depending on what they are. And finally, values as a feature. Technologies are not mere tools, but they are a reflection of the implicit values baked into them. And as a, as a global society, how do we want these technologies, these future disruptions, to represent our own cultural values baked into them? So as we move now into the third and final section, we talk about opportunities and how we can address those pressing challenges and develop anti-fragile systems and prepare for that uncertainty. So we're not in the business, we've talked about this before, we're not in the business of predicting the future. What we are doing is engaging in a future studies framework to prepare educational systems for uncertainty. Thinking about uncertainty as a design space and not thinking of it as a mental state, but rather a four-dimensional element that we can work with to design and explore. Intentionally exploring the adjacent possible, investigating the unknown possibilities that lie in the shadows of new inventions or disruptions, and working towards this idea of what could be as a design space. Working to differentiate between signals, drivers, and trends, and how to prepare a system to navigate those elements. Again, if we call back to those global trends, how do we sort start to foresee what is or what might be happening in the near to mid to long-term futures? And how can we prepare our system, our local context, to handle those potential disruptions or innovations? And to do that, we want to engage in future studies methodologies and practices, specifically futures thinking. Dr. Wendell Bell is credited with defining the official purpose of future studies as an academic discipline and is considered to be a core tenet still today, which is to discover or invent, 
examine and evaluate and propose possible, probable, and preferable futures. You know, those three futures can be thought of in terms of their time and clarity. So if we think about probable futures, the outcome, this is the outcome that is closest to us in relative time and is the most predictable. When we move to plausible, this is a little bit further out of reach, and there are ways that we could see this happening. We could connect the dots. If this happens, there's a good probable, there's a good probable cause that something else will happen shortly after or as a result of. And if we think about possible futures, well, this is where we have the most degrees of freedom because we can start thinking about utopian or dystopian or existential futures that are the farthest away but also become the hardest to speculate, but also as a result of that, give us the freedom to be as creative and as wild with our thoughts about what could be in that space. So how do we get to or stay away from certain futures? This is where futures thinking comes in. This framework gives us the opportunity to operationalize futures work in terms of actionable and strategic plans. Futures thinking is the intentional or purposeful act of thinking about the possible futures, envisioning multiple futures, making connections with our past, and asking the question, well, how did we get to where we are today? What had to take place? Extrapolating from an imagined future state to today in a technique we, we tend to call backcasting to start to think and propose, how will we get there? So again, why would we engage in futures thinking in an educational context? It allows us to evaluate emerging global trends and informing us, informing strategic plans to handle the uncertainty. It strengthens our creative problem solving. It provides opportunities to explore ill-defined problems. It can reduce future shock and promotes hope rather than fear. And it contributes to strategic development and planning. And finally, it can create a safe space to tackle difficult questions or ideas. And futures thinking is one of the core competencies identified in the Education for Sustainable Development as outlined by UNESCO. So even from a large global entity, we are recognizing the need for sustainable development and education for sustainable futures using techniques like futures thinking. So as we kind of wrap this brief primer, this brief uh, element here up, I just want to highlight a few areas where I think we can make some differences, especially in terms of educating for sustainable futures. The first, of course, is the continuation of academic work. So building coursework programs and degrees that incorporate or use future studies approaches that look into expanding beyond traditional student learner communities and offer things like micro-credentials or other versions of stackable experiences that would appeal to a broader audience of, and even expanding that into practitioners or lifelong learners. Being able to, how do we bring this information to not only new or young students going through various stages of their academic programs, but how do we bring practitioners and uh, professionals back in Continuing on things on scholarship, continued efforts of research and publications, external grant funding that allow for the study of futures thinking methodologies and practices for sustainable education. And then something we're doing right now, 
working towards public engagement. As far too often, the incredible work completed um, by researchers, by my colleagues, they stay within the academy. They stay within you know, published journals that have paywalls that re you know, require you to have institutional access or pay a fee to get access to this funding. We need to have this information free and publicly available to engage the public in these conversations making these connections to the public, making sustainable futures visible through public discourse, multimedia campaigns, events, industry, industry partnerships, and can really help make this research to community bridge. How do we bring this, this, these, these connections out to you? So that's a call to action, I would suggest, for, for everybody thinking about how do we handle or continue to talk about educating for a sustainable future. And finally, I will end with this, with an often used, overused, sort of uncredited Chinese proverb, because the sentiment here is fully applicable to engaging in future studies, future thinking, and sustainable education. And that quote is, the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The second best time is now. Thank you very much. This has been a very quick and succinct overview of the topic of, of educating for sustainable futures, a quick overview of opportunities and challenges. Thank you for joining me. I've been your host, Dr. Sean Leahy, and I look forward to seeing you again in another future episode of the Learning Futures Podcast. Until then, that's a wrap. You've been listening to the Learning Futures Podcast. Be sure to check out the show notes for more information and details. If your podcast player allows for reviews, please leave us one. We'd love to hear from you and know what you think. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you'll never miss an episode. The Learning Futures Podcast is jointly produced by Enterprise Technology and the Mary Lou Fulton Teachers College at Arizona State University. The show's executive producer is Dr. Sean Leahy. Production support provided by Jennifer Ayala with technical production provided by Jacob Snyder. We hope you have enjoyed this program.